Hey, sexy. This is Pleasant Gaiman, rock and roll witch and culture maven. You're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Wow. Welcome to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, a Pantheon podcast. Music, culture, conversation, and good old-fashioned rock and roll. So now, I give you Miss Pamela and her pajama party. Hello, dolls. You are sitting around with me at Miss Pamela's pajama party. And, you know, I guess most of you know I'm a groupie. Um, Very proud of the word. In fact, I've been trying to redeem that word most of my life because all it means is someone who loves music and the musicians who make it. And it's not even, you know, sometimes there's not even sex involved. It's friendship and... You know, I used to iron their shirts and put buttons on them and be right up front and receive the sweat, you know? So is anything wrong with that? I'm not hurting anybody. Groupies are good people, loving people. So I'm a groupie. And, you know, I have books out. I've got five books, working on books six and seven right now. One of them is a secret. It's going to be very exciting. And I have, of course, this podcast, and I have a column at pleasekillme.com. So please check me out. And Pantheon, my boss is at Pantheon. I'm very happy with all of them. This is a huge company now. I can't even believe it. We have 70 or 80 podcasters, and it's all music-related. It's a music world here at Pantheon. And so please tell a friend about us, all right? Today's show is featuring my old friend, Pleasant Gaiman. She's quite a character. She's my sister podcaster here on Pantheon. And we're just going to chat. We're just going to have a little chat. I'm going to talk to her about all the different liaisons she's had with fantastic different rock people. She's had her own bands. She's a belly dancer. She's quite a character, and I love her very much. And we're going to talk to her. I have a book. Actually, my fourth book is Let's Spend the Night Together. And she has her very own chapter in here. So run out and get Let's Spend the Night Together by Pamela DeBar. Excuse me, could you please keep both your hands on the wheel, please? Oh, come on, baby, I just want a little bit of action, you know. Hey, cut it out! We're gonna have an accident. Stop it! Oh, come on, honey. Hey, look! All I want is a ride of the state pen to say, hey. "Oh man, get hey, your shut hand up, off hey. me!" You know the rules. Come on, put out or get out. Nobody rides for free. Oh, it's so good to see you, honey, and hear you. I know, it's so good to see you and hear you too. So it's amazing. I feel like reaching right through the <laughs> right and through the. I know. Let's you. do it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just showing Jerry this. Oh yeah, yeah. So I love that. 
It's, it's so fun. It was such a joy to have you in my fourth book, Let's Spend the Night Together. And there's so many great stories in there. I've taken notes from those. And I just want to start um, with your early, early, you told me it when you were four years old, you got into the Beatles. Oh, yeah, totally. I saw them on Ed Sullivan, and that was like the end of me. I mean, <laughs> that was the end. That was the beginning the of you. toddlerhood and the beginning of rock star lust. <laughs> Incredible how early that was. Now, what what were, were they like cartoon moppets to you, or did you actually? No, but um, I can't remember if I said this in your book, but I probably did because it was you, and we were talking that um, I asked my mom, when I, when I was excited to see the Beatles because we already had the record, you know, we oh. already had Meet the Beatles. And yeah. the, the first thing I said when I was looking at it, like my father was a music critic um, and, um, you know, and a jazz critic and he did all these like jazz liner notes. And my uncle was Nat Hentoff, who was also a jazz critic. And they both hated the Beatles, but both of their wives, including my mom, adored the Beatles because every woman on earth did. Yes. Um, but so... <laughs> So my mom like showed me the, um, you know, meet the Beatles. And I was looking at it at, at their um, at pictures on the back with their little suits on. And I said to my mom using the clinical term, which I, I wouldn't use again for, you know, years, but I said, where do they put their penises? <laughs> where do they put them? Where do they put yeah, them? Yeah, because their pants were so tight. Like I was used yeah. to seeing men wearing like you know that kind of don draper madman sort of baggy pants yes like, that's right boy talk about the hot guy have you seen those pictures of john ham with his dick just like i mean I, I, it's one of the greatest things i've ever seen are pictures of john okay, Ham's wait, dick. I'll, I'll tell you a john ham pussy story okay <laughs> i'm excited now Okay, so, he's my dream man. I've had I literally oh dreams God, about me him. Too. Yeah. Me too, but this was so inadvertent and it was so embarrassing. And um, it wasn't my pussy we were talking about, but it was. This happened at the Beachwood Cafe, like when Mad Men was at its at its prime, right? Ooh. And so it was me and um three other burlesque dancers sitting at a table having lunch, and especially. At that point, they had always moved. We did it at least once a month, you know, and they would move us after a few times. They just moved us to the back room because our, our table was always screaming and yelling inappropriate <laughs> things. And it was always like 11 in the morning and stuff. So so we were in this back room, but I didn't know that they put also sometimes celebrities that didn't want to be seen back there. I thought they were just like putting us in the corner because we were noisy and rowdy. Yeah. Anyhow, so we all were talking about sex shows in Amsterdam over our, you know, eggs Benedictine coffee. And then I was saying, yeah, the first time I saw um, like a, a show where that this girl pulled like at least 50 feet of chain out of her pussy. And, and all I could think of was like, okay, that was a cool act, but like, how long is the prep time? And then, <laughs> and then, and then the other girls started like chiming in. Yeah. I saw someone give birth to like a giant, like fish. And then, you know, and like, and, and I'm going to do, you know, I want to do this on stage. How long do you think, or what, what kind of material should I use to get it to go up my cunt? And I mean, it was getting louder and louder. And then all of a sudden we, we turned and there was this guy in a baseball hat that was sort of like leaning over to our table. And, and I saw him and we kind of like caught eyes. And then I realized it was fucking John Hamm. Oh, God. And, and, I, 
I just like, I wrote about it on Facebook. I mean, there was no picture, <laughs> obviously, but I was like, yeah. So I was talking about stuffing things up my hoo-ha and who, who's eavesdropping on our table? But... Yes. He seemed to enjoy it though, huh? He was very curious. Oh yeah, he right? was enjoying it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we should have you... just told him to come and sit at our table. We were also shocked because <laughs> we were like in the throes of like Don Draper. Oh God, year, yes. Right? I mean, do, you, do you have your phone handy? Yes. Just look up. Are you going to text me something? Um, no, just look up. John Ham Penis. And the most okay, incredible up pictures right come up. The most amazing <laughs> photos. He obviously doesn't this wear is, underpants. This is, <laughs> this is the wonders of um, recording a podcast on the internet. John Ham. <laughs> now everyone, of course, is going <laughs> Wait, to do is it, that. Is it two M's? Or, yeah, it's two M's. Two M's, there's yes. More, there's more to pack. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's again, not, wait, John Hamm's penis. Like this is like looking through Gary. Gilmore. Yeah, that one. Okay. Oh, hold it up to me so I can yeah, see. Yeah, it. but you, you, oh, it's insane. Look, look, look. Where? Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Wait, what, what was that? Was that a Matha Hoople song? No, who's who was it? I don't even remember more than your mouth can hold. No, that's that Michael DeBar. That's Michael DeBar. Silverhead. Silverhead. More than your mouth can hold. Separate your. your thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, my actual husband. Okay. Wow. Oh, yeah, that was a good song. Okay, yeah, so the Beatles. Uh, let's go back to you. The Beatles okay. led you into. What, what, what came next? Was it the stones or, I mean, did you, uh, even at a tiny age like that, did you continue your rock and roll? Um, well, my, my next, my next crush was Peter Noon, who, you know, was at, at the age of 17 was like age inappropriate for, you know, like a four and a half year old. No, yes. He was young um, though, at least. No, he was young. Yeah, yeah. He was a minor, you know, like. And I couldn't tell what, like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't wonder about his penis at that point. Like, I, I didn't get punished, but uh, um, I just like, I liked Henry the Eighth. I am. Um, and then after that, it went, it went quickly to. I, I was never into like, you know, the shows that were on TV when I was growing up, like Bobby Sherman on Here Comes the Brides or The Partridge Family. We watched it, but I liked Susan Day more than David Cassidy. Mm. I didn't like like sort of teen idol people. I went directly to my next obsession was, um, it was it was Mark Boland from T-Rex oh. and Bowie Tide. Right, and right. Also then the, the, the first records, and I'm saying records, not even CDs for oh, anyone of that's listening. That I, <laughs> the records that I shoplifted um, because of only the way their covers looked, which was, you know, in hindsight, I realized that they were my sexual orientation. Yeah. <laughs> but I just like, I knew that I needed these records and it was from the way they looked. And it was Aladdin Sane and Rob Power and um, the first New York Dolls record. And right, right. Those were, um, those were taken, I'm sorry, universe from the Meriden Mall in Meriden, Connecticut. <laughs> carefully stuffed under my snorkel coat parka, which I have another story about Alice Cooper later to tell you that involves that same coat. Um, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, then I just got full into glitter rock because after, you know, 
the kind of music that I was hearing when I grew up that I wasn't buying, but I was hearing on every radio station was like Psychedelia and Jimi Hendrix. Actually, I love Jimi Hendrix. I did have the Jimi Hendrix album. I don't think I bought it or shoplifted it though, but I had Are You Experienced? Mm-hmm. And I would just play that over and over and over. So it kind of just went from Peter Noon and the Beatles to Jimi Hendrix and, and the Stones, of course, but then Glitter Rock was what really, you know, that was that was when I was like sort of developing. You and know, you were was, young, I, about 13, right? 13, yeah, 14. Lolita. Did I, yeah. did I tell you about the Lolita thing? Because I had this little conflux of events in 1972 that changed the entire course of my life. And they both happened within the same week. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I stole again, I um, shoplifted. And this one wasn't as hard as albums. This, this was leading up to the albums. I shoplifted these white fresh denim hip hugger hot pants from a surplus store. Uh-huh. They had a, a rack of girls clothes and they were seriously like about, you know, a foot wide and about six inches tall. And so I just st- stuffed them under what I was wearing, but I used to keep them in the bushes so that I could go to school looking like sort of in a normal school clothes. And then I would change in my neighbor's bushes where the hot pants were stashed and walk, go to school wearing, wearing that. And, uh, and you were so popular, then, I bet. Uh, no, I was never popular. They, I, they used to call me witchy poo in high school. People hated me. They used to throw shit at me in junior high and high school. Seriously, like I was an outcast. I did not look like the other girls or act like it. Apparently, thank goodness but, um, for that. <laughs> but so, <laughs> so, um, so my mom saw me sauntering home from school, and I was really like just like working it, like in my in my hot pants, you know, and and. She, we, she taught at a university. I grew up at a university that was like, you know, it was a, it was a boys, it was a men's university. And um, I was interested in all, no boys my age because they look like Timmy from Lassie. Um, <laughs> and um, I liked all of her theater students though. And I liked all the guys that were like at the Grateful Dead concert I saw when I was nine. I mean, I loved like, you know, any kind of rock and roll shit from anyhow. So this is why I was like sashaying across the campus in my white hot pants. But my mom saw me when I was driving home and when she was driving home. And I didn't know that until I got home and I'd already changed back into my jeans. And so she was like, "Um, where did you get those white hot pants you were wearing? And I was like, what? What white hot pants? What are you talking about? (laughs) And uh, she's like, I saw you walking down High Street in white hot pants. And I said, oh, I borrowed them. And she's like, you're not allowed to wear those again. You look just like Lolita. And I said, who's Lolita? And I, I thought she was not like a schoolmate of mine or something. And she goes, the book's up in the guest room, go and read it. And so I went up and I found it. And after about the fourth page, like I'm getting goosebumps right now. I was like, Ugh, wow. Like I didn't know that older men thought people my age were sexy until <laughs> I read that book. And then suddenly I was like, wow. You know, I guess those hot pants were really working. And then, um, <laughs> The ne- like two nights later, there was the film department for the um for the college, like in the in this giant building right next door to us, and none of the doors in those days were locked, you know. So me and my brother used to always sneak in and watch very age inappropriate films. Yes. And um, Cabaret was playing, and I and this was like because they always got the movies right when they came out, even before the you know the cinema in the, in yeah. the little town I was living in. So we snuck in and again, my mouth was just on the floor looking at the way like Liza Minnelli looked, looking at like, you know, like, you know, just all the 
fucking like amazing like Fraulein hookers that were the chorus girls and, and the Bob Fosse choreography and the clothes and the licentious sex and the three ways. And I was yes. just like, oh yeah. So I mean, between Lolita and Cabaret happening to me in 1972, that just, that just changed. And did, that was the did you read all of Lolita? Life. Did you read the huh? whole, did you read the entire book of Lolita? I read the entire book and yeah. I, I, I read, I read it millions of times. I just read the whole <laughs> thing. And then I saw the, then I saw the movie and yeah. then I was having an affair with like a 17 year old when I, who told me he was 18 when I was like 25. And then I gave him the book, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So the, wow. That was an interesting confluence. Yes. Yeah. I mean, seriously, that just set the tone for like the rest of my life. <laughs> it's amazing when that happens. I had similar things, you know, when I met Captain Beefheart in high yeah. school. Yeah. There were moments like that where, da -da! I mean, you know, it's like, I don't know, a rainbow appeared or something. It, things changed. So Yeah, you hear angel choruses. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, when I was when I was reading your your book, which I read like probably as many times as Lolita or more. Oh boy. <laughs> because I, I loved seeing your diary entries because they looked so much like mine, except not not exactly, but do you know what I mean? Like the, it was gushing. Gushing yeah. and gushing yeah. and then getting and then getting to the parts where you're meeting people that you had gushed about that you never thought yeah. you were and then, yeah. and then the like crazy tang tangulations of what was going on. Yeah, just all of it. And wasn't Alice Cooper was the first rock star you met, right? Yes. Yeah. Like it, yeah. So that was um Tell us that. That happened. That was on the billion dollar babies tour. Real early. And, um, yeah, and then so speaking of hot pants and shoplifting, um, <laughs> but my friend Joan and I went there. This was still in Connecticut, and it was my idea because I was I was so bad. Like no, no wonder I, I'm still atoning for my sins. Oh, you're so popular. I'm honey. Turning my phone off. <laughs> I'm sorry, because <laughs> someone's sending me dirty pictures, and I'm not even kidding. <laughs> oh, let's see. No, no, <laughs> it's it's better than John Ham's dick, though. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm I'm, I'm jealous. <laughs> okay, so where was I? Okay, so I told my friend I told my friend Joan that we had to we had to go into New Haven early so we could um, steal everything we were gonna wear that night. <laughs> and um, oh and and um got these really cool over the knee round toed boots that laced all the way up and mm -hmm. and um we both had on big giant bell bottoms so we just left our gross ratty sneakers because even stealing shoes had been a plan we just left them sitting in like the baker and leads and walked out with the boots laced up and our bell bottoms over it and then we um stole black satin hot pants and we stole these lurks like sparkly tube tops that went around your boobs, but they had a V-neck, like a 40 sweetheart line mm. author there. And then Sounds we got dressed sexy. in a bus station in, um, in downtown New Haven, Connecticut. And in November, and we left our coats there too. And we walked to the concert like that in like sub freezing oh. weather. Wow. And they were playing with um, Alice Cooper's opening band with ZZ Top. And I rolled my eyes and I was like, look, it's a, it's a bunch of like cowboy hippies. And I'm so sad I didn't watch them. 
<laughs> you didn't watch That's them, how huh? God punished me for the shoplifting. <laughs> Did you ever feel like bad about stealing? I mean, yes and no, but I mean, yes, I did. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't, when I was really stealing was like around that time period. And I knew that stealing was wrong, but I didn't realize about shit like, you know, retail store loss or, you yeah, know, of course I mean? not. You, know you wouldn't I mean? have thought about that. I was just in church, you know, and I was, it was ingrained in me not to steal. You probably didn't. Did no, you I not, wasn't. I, you didn't go I to grew church. Up not in church. No, <laughs> I, I grew up with um, like a, a, a non-practicing Mennonite um for a father, you know, who and um, you know, who was like a debauched rock and roll and jazz writer. Yeah, and my yeah. Mom had run away from home. She was she was Jewish technically, but like not practicing. And mm. because I was growing up when you were, you know, you were already like you know, older and, and more savvy than, you know, when I was like in the, in the sixties, when I was little, like yeah. there was, cause we were on a college campus. Like I got thrown out of fourth grade for wearing a strike and a more, a war moratorium armband. And oh. <laughs> we would go to like any church or any kind of like pagan thing, you know, cause my mom told us to try out religions if we were interested in them. So I never had that like biblical Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I had all that. I was born again at eight years old. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have that. Yeah, um, it was different. Sounds pretty different from your upbringing. Yeah. <laughs> so what happened? You you met Alice? Did you? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So um, <laughs> then when we got when we got out of the um, concert, like we went to a, and of course, we had done the old thing where you, you tell each other's moms you're staying, yeah. your moms are staying over at each other's house, you know, the oldest trick in the book. So, um, so then I went to a payphone because I had read in Cream magazine that, um, that they always stayed in Holiday Inns. And I knew that Chef Gordon also from reading like Rock Scene or Cream or something was his manager's name. So in the, in the, you know, hard copy phone book that was always in a phone booth. Um, I was just looking up Holiday Inns and there was three of them. So then um, uh, the first one, they didn't have Chef Gordon registered there, but the second one, they said, we'll put you through to the room. And it sounded like it was like, you know, screaming and yelling and stuff. And we're like, hey, you know, my name is Pleasant and, I, and my friend here, we, we want to come over to the party. What room are you in? And they, they told us, because why wouldn't they? I didn't know how that, that thing would work. Yeah, I thought I would... I think at that point I thought I would talk to like Mr. Gordon's secretary. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh. So, so we went, we um, took a taxi over there. And then when they opened the door, there was like two um, fetuses dressed in horror clothes. So, I mean, they were like really nice and stuff. Um, but, you know, like nothing really happened. And then I had like, I can't remember if I had like, I, you know, we, we went backstage, but they were already gone. So that's how the second, you know, the second um, phone phone call trick worked. But was, yeah. Was, was that your, your first time backstage and all? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, backstage, not in a theater, you know, because I yeah. was in, yeah, backstage at a, it was my first concert. And oh. Oh. That was my first concert, you know, that I had to steal clothes for. It was my first yeah. time backstage at a concert. Did you ever talk to Alice later? Did you ever get to know him? 
No, I don't. I, I don't. I don't really. I don't know him, and I don't know why. I mean, I'm I'm kind of outraged when I think of that. You know. <laughs> well, he's been living in Arizona for many many years, but yeah, yeah. He, he was he was a real teetotaler, and then he got into a real heavy drug scene with Keith Moon and uh, all those Harry Nilsson and all those people. Remember? Yeah. Did you remember? Up, up, I do. Up I remember. Just the, the rainbow. Yeah. They all hung out up there. Yeah, I remember. I do remember that part of it, and then, um, uh, yeah, just how wild it was. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't involved in it, but I heard, I heard the quote, quote word on the street all the time, and I think I walked by it happening once in a while, but it was never like. Well, he was. He's real straight now. I did a, you know, a podcast with him. How many months ago was that? Three or four months. Anyway. Oh my God! I'll have to go back and listen to that. Yeah. I we do had a lot of fun. That, yeah, I'm sure. He he just seems always like lots of fun. And also, I <laughs> um wasn't he like he was the first person that contributed money to the decomposing Hollywood sign. He was. That's in very the 70s. Cool. Yes, he was. I didn't even talk to him about that. Oh yeah, that kind of changed like like that. Then suddenly, like all these celebrities started making contributions. Because I remember one night when I was coming home from the mask, that the punk club. Yep. My, my friend Brad Dunning called me up in the in at like two in the morning because he had just heard on the transistor radio that the O had just fallen down <gasps> the hillside oh. of the Hollywood sign, like some news reporter in a helicopter saw it. And so he's like, he he yells this to me. Um, on the phone and he's like, I'll be over to pick you up in 10. And we drove up there forgetting that there like wasn't lights, but we drove all the way up to as far as we could go and sat there just like drinking beer and smoking pot for a while. And then we're like, I guess we'll see it in the morning. <laughs> well, that's, that's a tragedy that the O fell down. That's, I mean. Yeah, but I mean, that, that, that point, that sign was like way over 50 years old. Yeah, you know? yeah. But Alice Cooper was the first person, I'm not sure what, what letter, he restored, but then right after him, like, I think it was like Bob Hope and then all these people started donating to it, you know, cause it was just, it already had like holes and all. The yeah. I mean, yeah. It yeah. Like, it was, it yeah. was crumbling. It had, I remember when it was crumbling. So you next came the punk scene, right? Next yes. in your life. Yeah. From glitter, cause by the time I got in California was, um, how did you get here? 1975, right before, like a few days before my 16th birthday. And um, I went How to go perfect. and see Queen at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium. And who did you see? Queen. Oh, the Santa Queen. Monica Civic Auditorium. How and incredible. Then, oh, my God. But listen to what's even more incredible about that whole story. I mean, I I told this story in, um, in uh, John Doe and Tom DeSavia's book, like the first one, like yeah. I was in both of the books, but so the first one was um, this, cause this was also how I got into the punk scene. Like I loved Queen, Queen was just like, I mean, I, I love them so much. So I, um, I took the bus down there and I was wearing like this old like crumpling forties evening gown. And I had like all these like sequins braided into my hair and hiking mm. boots. And I just looked like a, like a great, lunatic nuts I had red hair down to my ass and so I got into where the um where my seat was and then right away this like what I thought of in my head is wow um this this hot old man turned around and said would you like some of this and he handed me a joint and I took a big huge puff of it and then I, I looked at him to say thank you and I realized it was Tony Curtis 
<laughs> so, so I was getting, I was getting wasted with, with Tony Curtis until then I saw these two boys striding down the aisle and one was, um, one was really tall and had like a crazy pyramid frizzy hairdo like the Sphinx and was shirtless and was wearing black bell bottoms and a black velvet floor length cape. Mm -hmm. The other one was all in white with a Bowie mullet and um, not called mullet in those days, by the way, and a lot insane lightning bolts. And so I borrowed a pen from Tony Curtis and I wrote like all these <laughs> Saturns and lightning bolts and hearts all over a blank matchbook that I had in my purse. And it just said, Aladdin, sane, you cosmic orgasm, call me. And so I threw the fucking, like, um, the matchbook a few rows to where those guys were sitting. And they got it because the next day they both called me on a landline. And so that turned out to be um, George Ruthenberg and Paul Beam, who turned into Pat Smear and Darby Crash a few oh. years later. How and fabulous that was of you to yeah. recognize them before they even became those people. Yeah, they were just in high school too, like me. So we started oh. cutting classes at each other's schools and hanging out. And then um, and then they loved Queen too. So they went, they, they said that they heard that they were staying at the Beverly Hilton. So I went there with them. And at that point I was, um, I, think, I think I said this in your book, I don't remember. I was um, working at a uniform store after school and so they had the Hilton uniforms and I stole one in my size because my school was right near the Beverly Hilton. And yeah. I, would, I, would, I would go to school, I'd wear a bathing suit under my clothes so I could go and hang out at the thing. But when rock stars were staying there, I would, wear, I would bring the, the maid outfit in a little, like it looked like a school bag and go into the Beverly Hilton because again, nothing was locked. Yep. And, um, then I'd change in the in the bathroom and I'd be like walking along, knocking on doors, doing room service, room service. If I heard that like, you know, bad company or someone was staying there. Um, and then always the bathing suit was on under the maid outfit. And then usually oh. there was someone staying there. And I remember one time like that the security people at the pool started recognizing me and my friend, knowing that we were like kids that were sneaking in there yeah and, but then but then we would just start making a fuss and whatever band was staying there would always go oh no it's okay they're with me <laughs> that is so clever you know you're very clever about meeting the bands <laughs> yeah, i guess i mean i never even thought of it until actually right now and i'm telling it to you i was like wow i was pretty devious about this <laughs> especially you know a maid's outfit you know there's all kinds of um imaginations going wild about any kind of uniform on a young girl you know well see i didn't even think that i just thought that then i could be wandering around like a hallway yeah, that yeah. like but i that, bet you, you know hot. if the security guard saw me he wouldn't think i was looking for the rock star right i mean that's right. my rationale even though i looked like i was five you know no. what were you you were 16 right at yeah i was 16 i was wearing platforms you were fucking platforms with the mates yeah i know <laughs> Pretty cool. So who all did you meet? I mean, did you meet all kinds of cool rockers at that time? Um, I, the, the best ones that we met um, that I liked was Bad Company. And I think this was when Peter Grant was there. Oh, yeah. I was hanging out with them. them. Yeah. Huh? I was hanging out with Bad Company. Peter, you know, I knew Peter was up. You were probably so. there. Yes. <laughs> I probably was. Actually, I was hanging out with them. probably there as I was getting thrown out and they had mercy <laughs> on me. 
I was actually hanging out at the Hyatt house with them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was a real popular, oh, my God, the Riot house, of course. Okay, yeah. but when did your parents send you to boarding school? I mean, they, they were that worried about you. I came out here. Oh, before. Was, okay. Yeah, because um, they, the, all the boarding schools on the East Coast were doing sort of like, uh, you know, have like um, un, either underprivileged or lower income um, kids go there on scholarships. So I had really high SAT scores. And mm -hmm. this, I don't know why, because I used to color in the math one just in patterns because I didn't know math. And, and I'd be on acid doing like the patterns of the thing. And then my my <laughs> my SI, SAT scores were really high. I mean, I was good at English. But so then all these, um, like my guidance counselor in junior high applied me to all these um boarding schools and I got accepted and my mom just was yes you're going and I was like I don't want to go because I had a boyfriend at that mm, point but mm -hmm. then I went there and it was a preppy boarding school in Massachusetts and I taught them all about the New York Dolls and David Bowie and Roxy Music and they went from listening to the Almond Brothers to like writing graffiti on the doors and my glitter nail polish and um <laughs> anyway so my mom called you're good influence um, well, I love that. I love that school because it was it was like smart and fun people, unlike the school I had been going to. But the main reason my mom sent me there was because I was screwing around with her theater students. Oh, um, but <laughs> so she called me up and said, um, "We're moving. It looks like it's going to happen really soon. So I'm going to take you out of the school." And I started crying because it was it was it was so fun there. It was in the middle of the woods, but all the other kids were rich and had like helicopters landing on the football field and like. You know, all their older brothers and sisters had access to the best drugs on earth. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you know, we're talking about people who wintered in Aspen and shit like yeah. that. So, yeah, yeah. So I was having a great time there and I started crying in the hallway, you know, and then um, she said, I'll tell you if it's definite next week. And I hung up the phone sobbing. And then next week she said, OK, we're definitely moving, but I'll let you finish out the term if you want to stay there. And I was like, where are we moving? I thought we were going to move to like Iowa or something. And she said, Los Angeles. And I was like, do I have to finish out the term? And she's like, yes, actually, you do. You know, Because <laughs> that was like my my dream coming true. That was that was when I knew yeah. my life was really going to yeah. take off. <laughs> and why were they moving there? Why did she they was moving there because um, she she had long ago when she um when she was like on broadway in the 50s um she told she told me the story right when i was in the cabaret obsession that one of the people she had dated was joel gray and i thought Ooh. that she dated the mc in cabaret not just some young like good looking yeah. jewish actor yeah but so another one of her boyfriends um was mel brooks huh. and um boy he good, was, good uh, taste yeah so <laughs> he was um he he need he wanted her to do research assistant for the mm. Duchess and the Dirtwater Fox, which was that Goldie Hawn movie. That, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so um and she wanted to leave the East Coast and so she just took all the kids there. And I went I got there after did. I got there right before the Queen concert because I had to finish out the winter tour. Uh, boy, you must have really had a blast. Did you meet you met Rodney first, right? Or early I met on? Rod I met Rodney really, really early. The first thing I did when I got to LA, which was an accident, was I was wandering around the 20th Century Fox lot and I got 
a part in um, the Roger Corman movie, um, Hollywood Boulevard, which was about a porn star with a talking vagina. Um, but I didn't know that. I just knew that, um, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a porn movie, but that was the premise of it. But so, um, I, but I knew Roger Corman from Little Shop of Horrors. And I, and I, I told my mom, like, I know who this director is. And I, I told the, like the casting lady that saw me and she's like, well, how old are you? And I was like, I just turned 16. And she's like, well, I'm gonna have to get permission from your parents. So, um, she, uh, we went to my mom's office and I said, I love this director. I've seen all of his movies on TV. And she said, okay, she didn't say like, who is it? You know, cause she probably would have said oh. no, if she would have known it was a Roger Corman <laughs> film. So like a few days later, I was standing there with a bunch of other like up and coming Hollywood starlets that were probably, they were way old. Like they were probably like 21 or something. <laughs> yeah. um, but we, were, we were getting sprayed across the boobs with a fire hose for this oh. audition scene in the movie. Oh, oh my <laughs> In God. white t-shirts. So that, oh. that, was my, that oh. was my first like Hollywood entertainment biz. And then I started <laughs> going to clubs and then I immediately met Rodney and then I met Kim Fowley. Then I started working at the whiskey as the ticket taker. Mm -hmm. Then I started working for Toby Mamus after school instead of the uniform store. And that was when, that was right about 77, like right when he was managing Blondie. Uh, and yeah, he was, I was already friends with, oh, Joan Jett was the first real rock and roll person I met because she was best friends with my friend Randy, who I later started the, the punk fanzine with. Right, but I didn't think. I mean, I didn't think the Runaways were rock stars. I just thought it was like a fun band. I didn't know that 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 I knew that they had just been signed, but I knew that it wasn't like David Bowie or Led Zeppelin or something at that. Yeah, point. yeah. I mean, well, like you know, we were just friends, you know. And I I knew all these same people. I mean, the first two people I met in Hollywood, it was like ten years before you were, or yeah, ten years before, because I met Kim and Rodney, the first two people I met in Hollywood in nineteen sixty five yeah and they didn't change much by the time you met them i don't think <laughs> right. no they didn't when i look at the pictures from what they looked like then and from what they looked like like when i was first coming into hollywood like i remember i remember all the time thinking wow th these men are old and uh, but then now i look at pictures of them from when i first met them and they look like children yeah well when i first met him he was he was pretty young and he was davy jones's stand-in and yeah you know, yeah and he had a little bowl haircut which he kept for quite a long time but wasn't rodney's club open then was that it was it was just closing oh. i was like i was in on the very tail end of glitter rock everyone had started going to a place that was like the next the next um iteration of rodney's it was the sugar shack where oh um, yeah jack's right yeah no not jack sugar shack this oh. was just the play it was just called the sugar shack it was a juice bar in north hollywood and oh. it was where it was where cam discovered sheree curry oh and okay it, and it was and then the other the other girl that was blonde and had a shag that looked like Shelly vicky um Vicky was the bartender there and she became the singer for Venus and the Razor Blades. Oh. And, yeah. um, and Rodney and Kim Fowley were the only two people that didn't have to show ID to prove that they were under 21. But that, <laughs> that place was a hotbed of glitter rock sex, I'm yes. telling you. And, wow. And the DJ I was Chucky Star and everyone kissed the mirror like when Fox on the Run would come out and 
they played lots of Bowie there. It was. Well, you were really into Bowie early too. Oh my God, still. Yeah. I, I yeah. wept for hours or days when he died and it yeah. took me until about a year or two ago to stop stop having tears crying when um, when I heard a Bowie song on the radio. I think a lot of people felt that way because no one knew he was sick. I mean, you know, yeah. I, mean, I heard little rumblings that he wasn't well, but who knew? I mean, wow. Well, and also, I, I mean, for me, psychologically, I guess, when I was trying to do an analysis about why am I so sad, it was because, like, his music was, I heard it at such a formative time in my life. And when I used to listen to to any rock and roll, but also especially his, it made me feel like like I didn't have to be in a small Connecticut town. It made me know, it made me understand that there were people all over that, like, you know, didn't think Bowie was a faggot. Like they thought, like this was like what they wanted to look like, what they wanted to act like. Yeah. Um, well, what they wanted to play you. music like. Yeah. It you expanded know? you, right? It opened yeah. you up. Yeah. 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 I had that was my Zappa beef art time when they just opened me up that way. So yeah, I totally understand that. We were just around each other a lot. I was just gonna say I saw you all the time. Yeah. I don't remember how we actually met. That's huh. so weird. Yeah, I don't remember either. But I mean, I don't remember how I met Kim Fowley or Rodney. I remember like when Rodney took me on a date one time, like shortly after we met, and, and my mom thought, <laughs> my mom thought nothing that like, you know, a man in his 30s was picking me up in a black Cadillac wearing a shocking pink satin Granny Takes a Trip suit, and I was taller than him in my platform. She thought that was I don't know why she thought that was normal, but other things weren't. Well, he 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 was a you know he he had a gentle persona, you know, yeah. and you know he he was a I, you know I love Rodney, I love him. No, I do too. Yeah, I, I bet do you do. Too, I bet you do. Yeah, of course. But you I do. mean, you know, I I mean, I when I just think of it as an adult now, I was like, yeah, was it the seventies? Was, was it? You know what I mean? Like that reminds me when when I brought someone home. And my mom was not, did not take to him. His name was Ricky Applebaum, and he was a Vito dancer. This was before your time, but Vito was a guy in town who had a troop of dancers. That's where I met all the GTOs, and we took off on our own. But yeah. <laughs> he had big, big, curly Dylan hair, bigger even. And he had a, a mustache on one side and a beard on another side. And he came <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> and he came over and, you know, met my mom and she was very, you know, nice to him, but she was giving me these looks from the side of her <laughs> face. Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> so you're lucky your mom thought Rodney was okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think at that point she already realized that like there was not, you know, I was going to do what I was going to do. I, 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 Did you ever have fights with your mom about like, going out and stuff uh you know by the time well yes early on but by the time you know i was you know a teenager you know she, we, she i was the only child and my mom would did anything to stay close with me so mm -hmm. i didn't we we rarely fought about anything the one time she actually hit me was i was sassing her in front of someone and she slapped me in the face that's the only time i got along great with my mom actually but and it sounds like you did too, even though she, yeah. I got along. Been... I got along pretty good with her, but I also like I remember like 
you know, at, at, as, a, as a yeah way younger adult than I am now. But I mean, I remember going, God, how did I even do that to her? At one point, I said, mm. look, I'll make a deal with you. I will get good grades in school. I'll set the table or do whatever you want. But I'm going out, you know? <laughs> and, I, and I remember I would, because I would tell her stuff. And sometimes, I mean, she had, she had three other kids that were all younger than me. And I was like the wildest one. Like, I think... You know, I think she thought they were all going to be like that, but luckily they weren't. Like my younger sisters were cheerleaders and mm -hmm. shit. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, um, but like I would go, "Mom, can I go to the whiskey tonight?" And she'd say, "No," and I'd be pleased, and she'd say, "No," and I'd say, "Okay." So then I would, I would go upstairs for ten minutes, and I would um, just get a coat, and I'd get like some school books, and I'd go to the whiskey or the Starwood or wherever, and I would just like. I'd say to the bartender, can you put these behind the bar? And I always put them there for me. And then I would go right up into the VIP section. You you knew Michelle Meyer, right? Yes. And you know, wait, wait, who was I just, I can't remember on some podcast, was it? that I, I don't know. I was, I was writing about and also lately talking about Michelle Meyer and a she lot. Was, she was my best friend, you know. No, I know. Yeah. And I mean, I, I mentioned that every time. Oh, that, good, good. Thing, and I was like, I was telling somebody, you know, you know how famous Miss, Miss Pamela is. Michelle was like the silent partner. It was like Penn and Teller. I mean, she wasn't silent when you met her, but she wasn't. <laughs> Well, she yeah, wasn't yeah like, she, she wasn't flamboyant and topless she, oh i remember <laughs> who it was it, it was on it was on my podcast when um i was interviewing terry graham the drummer of the bags and mm. um the gun club and mm -hmm. he was roommates with her did you know that um i can't imagine that michelle was no i no it was for a few months and i think it started as a sublet and stuff but then we were talking about michelle myers and then i went on this whole tirade explaining to the listeners oh like, good why i was so shocked that he was yeah. living with her yeah, and, I mean, and how amazing I, michelle was you i know? don't remember that i mean i was close with her all the way to the end she was my second roommate and you know there's one of my favorite stories is when waylon jennings came over to spend the night with me <laughs> She crawled out her bad her bedroom window because she was too nervous to walk through the house with him in there. <laughs> she so crawled out her bedroom window to go to work, and you know she she was very shy and reserved, you know, sexually in those kind of ways. Although her first two lovers were Bruce Johnston from the Beach Boys and the Ox from the Who, so that that was her. Yeah, so she did wow. get you know, but it, she was. Oh, she was so special. You know, I've, God, I, I really, she was my son's first babysitter and all that. Michelle, for anybody that's listening, Michelle Myers was like, she was like, had a hopper and Amit Erdogan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like, like, you know, the biggest, like, diplomats of all ages. Uh, she knew everybody in town. She could make one phone call and get, get like, favors, you know, like without begging. I mean, she, she also did lots of favors for people. Like she would, yes. she would do recon for me. Like if, if something I'd be like, do you know anything about like fill in the blank? Like whatever rocks are. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Here, just oh, call yeah. this person. I know. And screen. of course there was no internet or anything, it, yeah. but, it, but she was, she was, that's the rock and roll head of hoppers. That's a good, but she also booked the Starwood and the whiskey and a lot of. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. that's what I mean. Yeah. She knew, she knew everybody and she, and she would, she was completely like nowadays they'd say like, just hooked up. You know what I mean? If, if she like recommended 
you for a job or for a date or for anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. People just question yeah. it. She was, she was, and she, you know what she used to always say about, um, I'm sure you'll remember this, but for people that listening, like nowadays when I talk to people, as I'm sure with you, like they're like, how did you guys do anything when there was no internet or no yeah. social media? How did you know where to go? And like, I don't know now. I like, I don't know how we all had that radar, but Michelle Myers used to call it jungle drums. Oh, of course you I remember, remember that. that. Yes. And there were also the groupie Tom Toms. Yeah, that's that's how we heard about everything. And she was real, <laughs> Goofy Yes, of course. That's how we knew where all the bands were, where the other groupies were, you know. Oh God. It was it was it was fun. You actually had to sit and wait for the phone to ring, you know. Oh my God, I know. And how yeah. many how many articles of clothing did you give to your roommates to stay off the phone, like waiting for someone to oh, call you? Yeah, I gave away yes. the best shit. Yeah. And in England, it was real. You know, the timing was off because you know it was such a different time frame, and you have you, you no matter when the phone rang, you had to answer it. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, that was so funny. I was my twenty first birthday. I was on acid, and uh, Jimmy Page called me for my birthday my 21st. And right at that moment, Catherine James walked in with uh, David, oh God, what's the, Gilmore. <laughs> she walked in with him and, and she's so gorgeous. I don't know if you know yeah, Catherine. Yeah, she's so but, beautiful. Oh, yeah. Like like, like, a, like statues would have been made of her yes. that one empire. <laughs> and she's, yeah. still, she's still my very best friend. But at that moment, it was the wrong time for her to walk in because they had just had a thing. Her and Jimmy. Oh, geez. Oh. And David Gilmore was real pretty back then. It was a, that was a psychedelic party. You took a lot of acid too, right? Yeah. Our, <laughs> our producer says that no episode of my podcast is complete without us talking about being on lots of <laughs> Well, yeah, we're keeping the trend going. That's good. <laughs> oh, boy. So let's get into Iggy here. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I guess Iggy and Billy Idol were your probably the most well-known boyfriends of yours, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I would say so. Yeah, I mean the, uh, the story of you moving in with Iggy out in Malibu is so amazing. I know uh, it's so crazy. It is so good. And how old were you then? Seventeen. Seventeen. <laughs> it was a very good year. I know it was. It was good. I mean, that was those those whole stories of that were crazy. How it how it started? Did I like? I don't remember how much I was telling you for the book. That like I think I told you about. Um, there was a giant party for Devo at this at the Slash Magazine loft um, before Devo played the Starwood, mm-hmm. and um, so that party was going crazy. And then when you know, because the Slash people were, they were older than us. So they had, you know, they they didn't do like all night parties. I mean, it would always get wild, but it wouldn't just go on until the next day. Yeah. Because they all have like real jobs and shit. Yeah. So um, so it, it, the party moved over to the Germs apartment building on Holloway. And then other people that, uh, you know, that had been there and people that hadn't made it because they were at band rehearsal came. So there was everybody there that you could think of, like, John Doe and Xene and the mm. Screamers. It was like it's like a big giant punk party in the Germs place, and they had these slippery stairs, 
it were painted. It was like a 50s apartment building and it had lightly started to rain. And of course we were all drunk, but I, my accident didn't happen because I was drunk, but um, I was going down the stairs and my, my foot slipped on the stairs and I grabbed the railing and I flipped over it. So KK from the Screamers and Fast Freddy took me to the nearest hospital, which was Cedars-Sinai. <laughs> Wow. And um, I had to get stitches in my chin and they were testing me for a concussion, but I thought it was a, like a sobriety test. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> and so I wound up going home to my house, but I had, I had stitches in my chin and then my jaw was wired and shut on one side. Um, Jeepers. Yeah. Cause my, like, and I still have TMJ from that, but, huh. um, <laughs> so I woke up the next morning and just my face was all black and blue and there was like the stitches bandage and all this shit and my mom put down the paper and she was like what the hell happened to you and I didn't want to tell her it happened like at a punk rock party or anything but um <laughs> but that wasn't going to stop me from going to the Starwood that night you know even though I looked like a you know I looked like I had you know survived an avalanche or something I mean I was all like sort of black and bluey and stuff but um <clears throat> Iggy was there. Everyone in town was there, you know, yeah. like because it was like Devo's first time to LA. And um, so the people from Slash were there and they're like, they're, you know, and I had known Iggy since I was 15 and already stuff was going on, on and off. Like the germs introduced me to him when he was living. Um, you know, I can't remember what the name of that building is, but it was a big giant. It's still there. It's a big, like, you know, silent movie era apartment building. And when they said that's Iggy's house, I thought, you know, because he was a rock star, that it was his whole house. I didn't know he was going to have this tiny little apartment in the um, in the basement full of like fast food wrappers and shit, like like what I told you for your yes, book. Yes. But that was the first time I met him, and I was just like, because he was so he was so beautiful, even yeah. even in, in in detrimental states. Anyhow. You know, and this was like the person that I listened to, the person who I, whose album I managed to like <laughs> shoplift under my coat in Connecticut, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. That's always so, so thrilling. So anyway, so I, <laughs> I was seeing him a little bit in those days, like 75 and 76. And then I lost track of him for about a year and a half or two years. And when I walked into the Starwood and he was there, everyone from Slash says, you know, Iggy, you already know Iggy, like uh, go and see if he'll do an interview for Slash magazine. And so I didn't even think it was going to be me interviewing. And I thought that like they wanted to like, mm -hmm. like boy face, you know, Claude Bessie, I thought he was the one that wanted to do it. So I just went up to him and I was like, hey, um, I don't know if you remember me. And he's like, of course I remember you. And I was like, well, you know, like Slash is this new magazine and they want to know like, you know, if you want to do like a, an interview and Stephanie goes, can't you just say hi to me like a regular human being? <laughs> and I was like, sure. And then we just started talking. <laughs> and then I was with um, Pat Garrett, who was, um, he was one of the founders of Danger House Records and he had a big crush on me. He had driven me to to um, the Devo gig, you know? And um, I mean, I liked him too, but Anyway, he's like, I came back from talking to Iggy and I told the people from Slash, yeah, he'll do an interview, blah, blah. And then, and then Pat was standing there just going, oh my God, we're just fucking talking to Iggy Pop. And I looked at him and I was like, I know him. You know what I mean? <laughs> so then we were leaving and he, Iggy was pulling out of the Starwood parking lot in, in this giant, like, 60s like white Cadillac convertible and he had all these beautiful models in the back seat and with him and stuff 
and he stops, he screeches to a halt in front of us and said, we're going to Bernie's Beanery, present, come with us. And I said, okay. And so Pat was having like a meltdown, you know? And so we went to Bernie's Beanery and we pulled up into the parking lot and I was like, <clears throat> still, I was yes. like, I have to get cigarettes. I'm gonna go to the liquor store. I went to the liquor store and Iggy was in there and he was walking out as I was walking in and he goes, what are you doing? Um, what are you getting? And I said, cigarettes. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll buy them. And then he goes, I hate all the people I'm with. Let's go. Let's go. And I go, where do you want to go? And he's like, let's go to the dictators at the whiskey. So we said, okay. And by the time we got there, it was like over. And <laughs> then he said, why don't you, why don't you um, come over to my house? And I thought his house would be in the hills or somewhere in Hollywood, but we wound up um, driving all the way down sunset. And we were like, you know, like all the way out where, where sunset meets the ocean. And then we turned right on PCH and I was like, where are we going? And, and, <laughs> and um, David Bowie had rented this house for him. And this was like before they were gonna record like the idiot, I guess. Right, right. Um, idiot was between the idiot and that I, I don't, I can't remember right now because <laughs> hashtag old lady. No, um, but but um, Bowie had rented the house for him and it was this like magnificent beach house. And he had butcher paper up all over the walls. He wasn't covered in paint that night, but he'd been doing like body slam paintings mm -hmm. with shit, and shit like house paint and um, and acrylic paint and oil paint and just like he was he was making really cool art. But then he'd get like really really wasted and just like go running across the whole <sighs> house and slam into the like I don't even know what happened to those. It was just like it was just like reams and reams of butcher paper. I, I mean, was going to ask, do you know what happened to those paintings? Those would be incredible to. No, I know it would be an amazing to have show. or to see even. You know. Anyway, I haven't talked to him in 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 centuries. No, but um. But you had a wild but, fling. Yeah, we did. We had a wild fling, and then um, he asked if I wanted to live with him, and I said, "Can I bring my dog?" Because my mom was like, in you know, she was in New York, and I had to go back and forth to walk the dog, and that was like a long way. But yeah, it was it was fun. I mean, the first night that we were together, like, I didn't, I never knew like what kind of frame of reference I would have with other people. I mean, I guess because I was young, yeah. you can't really yeah. sort of tell, but like. He knew so much about art, and then we were talking about the the Romanovs and Bolsheviks, and like just all this other stuff while getting like wildly drunk on red wine the the first night and stuff. And I remember, <laughs> okay, I remember for your book <laughs> when you were when you were showing me what you were gonna write, and then I was like, one of my coaches was like, he has a huge dick or something like that, and I was like, do you think you could take that out? And he was like, pleasant. The whole book is like this. <laughs> Nothing's wrong. And in fact, everything is right with a huge dick, okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. When, when I went on the road after I'm with the band, everybody wanted to, you know, Don Johnson had just, Miami Vice was big. And I had written in there, he has a huge cock, right? Yeah. Everyone wanted to talk about that. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it was a diary entry. It wasn't even something I was saying. Yes, it was huge. But I mean, look what we were just talking about, John. <laughs> John come on, that's, that's how we true. opened up the whole episode. We've come full circle. Now we're talking about English talk. minds want to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, let's let's you know get let people know what you're doing now. You know, okay. you, and 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 you know, and what you've been doing for a long time. You 
you had magazines that you, you you had your own magazine you you became you know very very notorious belly dancer that Mick Jagger came one time and yeah you twice. twice wow yeah, yeah. The, the $100 bill I told you that story right like yes I, I saved it for six months and I was like okay it doesn't have his DNA on it anymore fuck it I'm spending it <laughs> Oh, but yeah, tell us more about what's up now. Okay, well, what's up now is um, in, in during lockdown, I just wrote a book that, oh my God, I didn't even tell you this. I've been meaning to tell you this for days. The past couple of weeks has been, for me, not a lockdown level of busyness. Like, I don't even know, like, it's like the olden days. Like, I was like, how can I do this? I'm not, you know what I mean? It's been so busy, but um. So anyway, I've been meaning to call you. The, the really nice thing you wrote as a blurb is now like gonna, it's an introduction instead. Oh, oh, how nice. Is that, is that okay with yes. you? You don't have a choice, no. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, yeah, no, of course, was, I loved writing so that. Nice. But so anyway, for anyone who's listening, the book is called Rock and Roll Witch. And it's um, stories like like we've just been talking about. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of sex, there's a lot of drugs, there's a lot of craziness in it. Um, actually, the subtitle of the book is um, A Memoir of Sex, Magic, and Drugs, and Rock and Roll. <laughs> but um, so there's Good. all sorts of stories about rock and roll people in the book, because these people were there with me when lots of this stuff happened. Like, yeah. like, the, like the cramps and the go-go's. Yep, and yep. You knew everybody. Yeah, just, <laughs> like everyone that was around. And you had <clears throat> two bands. You had a couple of bands. Three, three bands. Three. Well, one of them was a, supposed to be a fake band that only lasted one night, but it wound up for five years. Oh, so wow. I, so I had the Screaming Sirens, yes. which was my all-girl band. And um, then Iris Berry and I started a writing group for lead singers because every all of the female lead singers we knew were mostly in bands with with guys but even my band of girls like that like we were all writing really good lyrics but no one could hear them because we all had really crappy equipment and the clubs had really bad sound systems so we started having a writing group and then um dave catching who you know he's now he's in the mojave lords and he was in you know eagles of death metal and like millions and millions and millions of bands he was he was always staying at this gray sound and I was the first person he met in Hollywood. Him and a guy named Gary Eaton started secretly writing music to like the poems that Iris and I were writing. So that oh. band the Ringling Sisters. Yes, yes. Great we name. Oh my clowns. God. Such and a wonderful then, name. Thank you. Yeah. And then Dave and I, and when we were in rehearsals and we'd get bored when we were in Ringling Sisters rehearsals, he would just start playing some crazy country band, you know, country music, but like at punk speed. And then I would just <laughs> off the cuff start making up X-rated lyrics. And so then we decided for his birthday, one night we were gonna do a band and we called it Honk If You're Horny. And um, it was uh, it was really just supposed to be a one night joke, but then Elvez, um, Robert Lopez saw yes. us and asked us to open for him. And then oh. after that, people were just like, like South by Southwest called to see if Honk If You're Horny could play. 
and this was in landline days and I, and I picked up the phone and they're like, yeah, this is blah, blah, blah from South by Southwest and we'd like you to play. And I was like, are you fucking kidding? I said that, I said, are you kidding? And I was like, this is a, this band is a joke. And they're like, no, we want you to play. And they go, I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like pay money to, yes, yes. to join a festival and fly out there for a joke band. He said, no, we'll take care of all your expenses. Oh, really? And I said, yeah. And I said, there's 15 of us. He's like, that's okay. And then I was like, well, we need at least three hotel rooms. That's okay. And they just like, and so then I said, we have to play at Emo's on a Saturday night. And they, they said, fine. And so wow. we did. I mean, That's but incredible. that happened all the time with Honk If You're Horny because it was, it was so fun and crazy. But also, it didn't. you couldn't just send an email, y'all were doing a gig. Like I had to call everyone and everyone had to check their like paper calendars. And I was just like, no, I'm not going to do it. So that was a really good inadvertent booking tactic because- <laughs> Huh. Because I just didn't want, I just couldn't even imagine putting 15 of us like who were always like fucked up out of our minds in a, in a van or on a plane to go to a, like a music festival, you know, but they, they, they you know, the more I refused just out of laziness because the Screaming Sirens <laughs> and the Ringling Sisters were my real band. Yes, yes. People would say, okay, how about $500? And I'd be like, I don't know. And I wasn't like negotiating. I was just like thinking like, oh, no, no. and then, yeah, yeah. okay, okay. Hey, a thousand a thousand and then I, and then at that point i would always just go okay a thousand and then and everyone always said yes i mean it was just, it was just crazy like <laughs> wow i bet that was a really fun gig it, it was so much fun like yeah. we all had names like i was um i was kanya fucker um annette Zelinskis oh. from the bangles oh. was tammy why not oh. dave catching was george bones oh my <laughs> god how fabulous Fuck Owens, and we all would have like our, all of our all of our teeth like blacked out and the colors in our I'm hair. I'm really sorry, like, I missed that, honey. Oh Jeepers. my god, it was it was really good. That's awesome. So, what? Anything else you want to get off your chest <laughs> about about like about what I'm doing right now? Yeah, or, or anything well, yeah, you want to say. Want it. If you if you still trust my sound judgment after listening to this interview, <laughs> um, I'm I'm always available for tarot readings and energy healings. Which mm. um, I should do that to you, Miss Pema. Yeah, maybe during the our you know in our next podcast. Yeah, or maybe. I can do it to you not on the air. Oh, okay. I it's don't really mind. good. It, it, it stops all sorts of pain, which is something I can't write on social media because it sounds like I'm, you know, you have to put a disclaimer. It's for entertainment. Yes, right. Yeah, entertain. Yeah. Well, I would love all of that. A oh, yeah, anytime I'll, we can I'll, do I'll, all I'll do a tarot reading. Oh, uh, when you come on my podcast, I'll do a reading for you. Yeah, that's it. what I said. I thought that would be fun yeah. on the air. Yeah, for people to hear what you do. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, that would yeah. totally okay, be Okay, we'll do that. That'll be really fun. Well, thank you so much, honey. I'm always loving to see you and loving to hear your stories and your real kindred spirit. And now we're podcast sisters. I know. And now we should talk more in real life, too. Yes, absolutely. You know, I, I like I said, I've, I've been vaccinated now twice, so I, I don't feel so fearful going somewhere. So that yeah. would be great. You, you just let me know when and where. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right, and I'll see you soon on the Zoom. You know, my, my show is called, you know, Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party. What is yours? Everybody mine has is, to know, all my fans. Mine is the devil's music with pleasant gamers. Oh, that's perfect. 
Yeah, because it's, yeah, because it it comes from what preachers in the fifties used to say. I about know. Oh God, they thought Elvis was a demon. He was. Oh, I, <laughs> I wish I could contact that motherfucker. On yeah, my let's <laughs> let's try it. God, I love. Oh my him. God, maybe we should do that. Yes, maybe between the two of us, he might appear. <laughs> yeah. Okay, honey. Bye. Okay, love you. Love you too. that fascinating what a gal she's a performer a dancer a writer she's writing another book right now and i'm looking forward to reading that and this is pamela debar's pajama party i really enjoyed my guest this week and please join me all the time listen to all my podcasts because i think you'll really enjoy them and i appreciate you don't forget to look at my website I have tours, not yet, but pretty soon. Guess what? I just got my second vaccine. And I'm going to be doing these tours sometime this year, my rock and roll tours, read my column, come to my writing classes, and I'll see you down the road. Listening to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, produced by Aaron Alden and Christian Swain. All sound design by Jerry Danielson and Busy Signal Studios. Find Miss Pamela at Pamela DeBar on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Find all the Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you find great podcasts. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Pantheon Podcasts, Rock and Roll Archaeology on Instagram, and Pantheon Pods on Twitter. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.